This is your host, Josh Sharp, and welcome to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast, where we get a chance to talk about what didn't make it into the sermon this week and what our speaker would have liked more time to engage with. We'll also go over some questions that you might have had and generally just have a good time talking about what was on our speaker's mind. Today we're here with John Rosensteel to talk about the sermon, Do We Have to Choose Between Science and Faith? From the current sermon series, 10 Questions, Exploring Barriers to Our Faith. Well, it's great to be back here today and back online with everybody. Thanks for listening. Uh, John, it's great to have you back. How you been? I'm great, man. Yeah. Got, yeah. Uh, I finished uh, Sunday's sermon today, which is atypical. So um, I was surprised when I saw the email hey, come in. Hey, hey, hey. <laughs> so I'm, I'm excited about that. So that'll, that'll clear some things up and hopefully it won't be a bad sermon, but you know, it's done. <laughs> but we're not talking about that one today. Yeah, That's yeah, next today. week. Yeah. Looking forward to that. I, I remember you telling us a little bit about the sermon today and it's, it's going to be a little weighty. Yeah. I can feel so. that one already, but uh, I'm looking so. forward to it. And that the topic is God and, uh, and suffering. So if yeah. you're interested. Yeah. 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 Looking forward to it. Um, all right. As usual for our listeners, we're not here to do the sermon, but we're here to talk about the sermon, but I want to give you a little bit of a flyby of what the sermon was about uh, this last week. John, could you give us a flyby there? Yeah, we were talking about the the question of uh, God and science, faith and science. The, the precise question is, do we have to choose? So in the series, we determined that's a significant uh, barrier. I think it is from my anecdotal uh, relationships, and but also through through reading articles and people deconstructing and those kind of things. This seems to be a, a principal area that causes concern. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we I focused in, I mean, obviously all these topics, uh, we're just brushing the surface. I hope you will know that. You know, it's not as much as we try to be exhaustive on a Sunday and with the resources, these are, these are big questions. Oh, it's an impossibility. I mean, we do yeah. this to try and help with that, but it yeah. is an impossibility. It's, yeah, I mean, I think, it, again, like I think I said at Sunday, we, I hope it'll be catalytic for people who are either um, excited about what they hear and, and may agree or, or disagree. I, I would be shocked if somebody listens to me talk about or one of our speakers talk about these subjects and has a hundred percent alignment. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, I think that w- I'm trying my best to be faithful to teach the scriptures and to address these questions. But these are these are intense questions. So, anyway, the way the 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 field that I tried uh, or the 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 area that I tried to address in this larger question is I got it down to kind of the big idea of God's world reveals God's glory. So we try to have a text for each of these messages. You know, we want to we want to preach from the scripture. So the principal text was Psalm eight, a King David Psalm, and then we bounced quickly to Psalm nineteen. So if you're home, you can flip to those and kind of read those. You may remember them from Sunday if you heard it. But the cumulative point in both of those, I think, J, uh, that David's attempting to make through his songs and poetry and his prayers, is that God's world. If we look at what God has made then that reveals God's glory, or that he reward means weight, or heaviness, or significance, or importance. Uh, so we just kind of, we unpacked that, and the way I constructed the message was in the middle, I uh, had uh, three things that we believe that are not true, from my perspective, about this question, or I would say this tension. Yeah. And one is the foundational one, that, that science opposes faith. I do not believe that that's true. I think the opposition comes when we inaccurately define 
one or both of the words science or yeah, faith. Yeah, what was your definitions on that? Do you have that in front of you? Yeah, science is a study of the natural world. That's my definition, and that is a distinct field that isn't meant to cover uh, questions like morality and identity, whether God exists or not. You know, those kind of things are yeah. outside the field of scientists. Good scientists know that. Some scientists <laughs> go outside their field um, and when, that's what you called scientism? Scientism, right. If you add an ism to most things, it becomes an ideology. It's taking something and making it everything. So I think some scientists try to do that. I would put the new atheist in that camp, Richard yeah. Dawkins and folks like that. Who Richard is is a scientist and a brilliant guy, but I think he, and I'm not the only one saying this. Many people say this, philosophers, other scientists, kind of thing, the things he's trying to address. He can have an opinion on them. But to act like he's an expert on them because he's an expert in science is misconstruing his field, is taking it and making it scientism. So scientism would be in opposition to faith. But then Christians often define faith as blind faith, and faith is not blind. We defined it as reason gone courageous. Uh, Faith presupposes reason. So um, if you define it as blind faith, then yes, it would be in opposition to science. Um, But if you correctly define science, correctly define faith according to the scriptures, there is no opposition. Uh, We talked about uh, how the Bible is full of scientific inaccuracies. I focused, uh, just for time's sake, on Genesis 1 and 2. Yeah. And and the what I think is the proper reading of that, and the proper reading of that, there's nothing inherent in it that is uh, that goes against or opposes science. Um, and then uh, and there's other illustrations we can I could give another one in the in the talk today if you want me to. And then um, you can't be a Christian and a scientist, and we just canvass the history of 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 science, and we see all kind of noteworthy examples of Jesus followers who are brilliant scientists, and even up into the modern day, Dr. Francis Collins. And then uh, kind of throughout, peppered in uh, pictures and amazing science facts from animals and humans and, and, and the world uh, to try to show that that does reveal God's uh, glory. And, and then kind of ended by challenging everyone. Um, and maybe I ruffled some feathers with this, perhaps, but <laughs> that Christians should be more like scientists. And scientists uh, pursue truth. They admit quickly when they're wrong. They're curious. They ask a lot of questions. Um, they seek peer review. Um, they're they're humble. <laughs> so you know, they use their minds and their brains. Um, these are things that I would like people to say more about followers of Jesus. And I think that is the tradition of hokmah, the Hebrew word for wisdom or skillful living that we have in the scriptures. I think we're called to be those types of people. Increasingly. Christians are seen as fools a lot of times, yeah. and, and yeah. We're, we're not thinking through things. And then just kind of a last challenge to get outside. I'm obviously a backpacker and enjoy being outside. I know that not everybody's like that. <laughs> as you look at me. No, 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 no <laughs> judgment, Josh. But uh, yeah, I mean, I think that I really do believe, to come back to that simple point, when we're out in creation, and even amongst one another, because we are creations, we are glorious that when we look and consider, to use uh, King David's word, that Hebrew word means to inspect, it's a scientific word, then God's glory is revealed. And we are right-sized, God is macro-sized or micro-sized, and all that's good and important. So I see science reinforcing faith, 
And I see faith reinforcing science in that it gives it a foundation and it fills in some of the massive gaps that science itself cannot fill in, such as where did everything come from, (laughs) you know, and how did everything start and morality and beauty and things like that that science is not equipped to answer. Faith comes along and fills in a lot of those gaps, I think, quite nicely. So there you go. That wasn't a short summation, if you will, but um, try to do a lot with the message because I know that this, this, each of these questions has a lot of tension points. So not sure how I did, but that's what was said on Sunday. <laughs> I think it was reasonable for sure. I, it's one of those things where I was, as I was thinking about, about through this and, and figuring out what questions to ask, it was just like, man, this is way more like one-on-one uh, bar conversations like in, in, in their discussion because you're, you're talking such fine points in a lot of cases. So I definitely, definitely understand that. Yeah. On that note of, you know, what you said and what we both know is, is kind of missing out there. What hit the cutting room floor this last week for you? Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I think I would, have I think I would have liked to have spent more time if I had more time, um, on, um, the idea of scientism and naturalism is another way uh, that people might define scientism um, and, um, and even evolution. I know that's a touchy subject for, for people, um, but they're in my word, in my, in my opinion and from my readings, and I'm obviously not a scientist, but I've read a good bit in this field. Um, there, there's a big difference between what I will refer to as naturalism, or I call it macro evolution and micro evolution. Again, those are not scientific terms. That's just kind of how I think about them. Macro evolution. They're floating around in articles. I know that much. Okay. Well, there you <laughs> yeah. go. You're so not, not macro off. evolution, you know, <laughs> i.e. evolution is the answer for everything. It replaces God. And obviously that is that doesn't uh, fit well with Christian faith um, as an understatement. But microevolution, uh, the process of, of species differentiation and kind of survival of the fittest and these kind of things that we see going on in real time. I mean, we see evidences of that in, in, in the midst of a lifetime. Yeah. And that seems like pretty solid science that, that, and to, to reference Francis Collins book, the language of God, which I represent. And I think if somebody's, I, I reckon, I recommended on Sunday, if someone's really looking to dig into some of these things, that's an excellent place. You know, he, he mapped the human gene. He came to faith after he was an accomplished scientist. And, and I think, you know, arguably, he's the most accomplished, influential scientist in the world. And so I think that he would argue that the processes of evolution um, that he believes God created and are incredible. He thinks evolution's incredible and the gene and all that kind of stuff um, bolster the case for Christianity. So again, I just I would like to tell people who are like have grown up in settings that that word is anathema. <laughs> and, you know, cannot fit in any way, shape, or form with Christianity, that to take another look at that, you know, yeah. you need to talk about... it really about depends on what's being talked about what it's, under yeah. that definition. And so I think yeah. just, you know, whether people understand macro or microevolution, or that's how it's referred to, I think asking more questions, because again, words matter, and um, what is someone yeah. talking about? You know, I, I'm trying to get better and better and saying, well, how would you define that word? Or if somebody asked me a question like, digging deeper into that. Can you tell me more about what you're asking? Because, you know, I think the precision is important in some of these things to have. These are complex conversations. Yeah. My understanding of micro um, evolution had a lot to do, and I studied this a lot way back when, uh, had a lot more to do with uh, mutations, natural selection, adaptation, 
Um, and then if those three came together at one period of time, that would actually qualify as macro, yeah. um, which was an interesting conversation in, in itself. Uh, but yeah, that's that's where my understanding of that landed. Yeah, I mean, I think for, for, for Christians, I think the, the dividing point is often in, and should be um, how things began, right? So I think, you yeah. know, as we talked about a lot on Sunday and fine to go back through it, um, Genesis 1 and 2 is not trying to make a scientific case, but it is making the case that God, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, our God, uh, created everything that was. Ex nihilo is the, is the term. God created something out of nothing. So I guess you could certainly construe that as a scientific claim, um, although it's probably more in the realm of, of religion and philosophy and stuff like that, but it, there's a crossover point, right? And yeah, scientists yeah. still to this day... Um, they've got many theories. Um, the most predominant one now is the, the multiverse, you know, theory, and we can go into that a little bit if you want. But they, no scientists say they've figured it out. They know that it's an issue. I saw one uh, prominent uh, scientist write that, you know, he thinks at the end of the day, scientists are trying to climb this mountain to kind of get to this top to figure out how it all started or going to get there and find theologians. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure my scientist friends maybe not like that, but the ones that are Christ followers like chuckle and understand that, right? That's where the, that's where we can work together. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I kind of, I think that that, that is, that is true and there's nothing by saying that God created everything uh, doesn't mitigate the science that's being done that's really faithful and good and true. And, um, but some forms and some claims, certainly if we don't need God to have a beginning of it all, I think, it's, I think most scientists even say it's prog- problematic. They haven't figured it out. So to have to go to a theory like multiverses is, you know, kind of the Hail Mary, in my opinion. It's like, okay. Yeah, like, man, I, 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 guess. I just watched, uh, what was it, Every Everything Everywhere All at Once? Yeah, I'm yeah. not for this multiverse thought process. Well, yeah, you're the you're the Marvel guy, and right? It's like they're getting the, the multiverse they get there with like Doctor Strange, and isn't yeah, that, yeah. am I right? Yeah, that was the last Aren't you movie. impressed? Yeah, yeah. You know, I, I don't watch those things at all. I, yet, but yeah. I, I, well, I know. So, I mean, yeah, it's, it, not, I don't think they're trying to give us scientific uh representation of the theory necessarily but anyway we don't yeah, yeah. Uh, if people are interested in that you could google it and find out but um yeah and i think the last thing that i would have liked to have gone more into um is you know this idea of some of the things i'm saying for some people that grew up in maybe more conservative or fundamentalist backgrounds sounds like oh what's he saying about this i think it's really faithful to the scriptures but also to tradition um, and the early church fathers uh, had no problem. Uh, they would have had no problem with what I was saying on Sunday. And um, I've actually got a long quote by Augustine. If we run out of time, if we run out of things to talk I'm about, curious I could, actually what it is. I, I'm just going to tell you, read it now. I'm okay. Curious. Yeah. Like, well, you know, Mark can edit it out if he doesn't <laughs> like it. Right. But I think it's pretty fascinating that this is, this is fourth century. Right. And, you know, Augustine, br- brilliant thinker, but they, they didn't understand everything scientifically then. And they and, knew it. And they know it, yeah. and and so yeah. anyway, I'll read. I think it's I, I I would have probably included it, but it's a really long quote. So anyway, he says this. Usually, even a non-Christian knows something about the Earth, the heavens, and the other elements of the world, about the motion and the orbit of the stars, even their size and relative positions, about the predictable eclipses of the sun and moon, the cycles of the years and the seasons, about the kinds of animals, shrubs, stones, and so forth. And this knowledge he holds to as being certain from reason and experience. Now. Uh, it is disgraceful and a dangerous thing, 
uh, for an infidel, and that's not a kind term, but that's Augustine's way of referring to non-Christians. Yeah. Uh, an infidel <laughs> to hear a Christian, presumably giving the meaning of Holy Scripture, presumably, uh, talking uh, nonsense on these topics. And we should take all means to prevent such an embarrassing situation, <laughs> in which people show up <laughs> vast ignorance in the Christian and laugh it to scorn. The shame is not so much that an ignorant individual is derided, but that people outside the household of faith think our sacred writers held such opinions. And to the great loss of those for whose salvation we toil, the writers of our scripture are criticized and rejected as unlearned men. If they find a Christian mistaken in a field which they themselves know well and hear him maintaining his foolish opinions about our books, how are they going to believe those books and matters concerning the resurrection of the dead, the hope of eternal life, the kingdom of heaven, when they think their pages are full of falsehoods on facts which they themselves have learnt from experience and in light of reason? Reckless and incompetent expounders of Holy Scripture bring untold trouble and sorrow on their wiser brethren when they are caught in one of their mischievous false opinions and are taken to task by those who are not bound by the authority of our sacred books. For then, to defend their utterly foolish and obviously untrue statements, they will try to call upon Holy Scripture for proof and even recite it from memory, many passages which they think support their position, although they understand neither what they say nor the things about which they make their assertion. Can I just... Can we just put that quote like on on the outside of the church, like at all times? Oh, I mean, really, I mean, there. it's whether people are offended by it or like, I mean, it's fascinating that that's fourth century. I mean, it could have been written yesterday, in my oh, opinion. Yeah, yeah it's and so me. again, Augustine's one of our most brilliant minds, Christian or non-Christian. So he's ahead of the game, anyways. But that was a long time ago. And so my point being, uh, some people might say. Oh, you know, even the way, John, you were talking about Genesis 1 and 2, which is not my way of talking about it, uh, you know, the, the broad consensus of notable Hebrew scholars would agree with what I said on Sunday, so that I wasn't making up something novel or new. But the early church fathers were, were all over that, and they, they talked that way, wrote that way. That's how they would have, if he would have said, hey, we're, we're, we're going now at Genesis 1 and 2 and trying to treat it as a scientific document with young earth and six days, Augustine would have said what he just said to us, like, <laughs> cut it out. Like, what are you guys doing? You know, that's not what the writer meant. That's not that's not what we're trying to do. And you're creating a situation where people see us talking foolishly about something they know not to be true. They're going to think everything else is foolish. And I tried to get that up across on Sunday. I, I don't know if I was irritated or not. I think in my spirit I was a little bit, <laughs> um, because it, it frustrates me. I believe the way of Jesus is good and beautiful and true. And there's enough things that are offensive about the gospel in and of itself, because it is offensive, you yeah. know, in and of itself. Talked about that that last week. We don't need to add to it, right? We don't need to, like, pile stuff on. Um, it, it's it's hard enough already. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I, I think that, that that's one thing. I Again, I would have, like— Maybe I should have read it, but I when I when I found that quote, I was like chuckling over. I was like, "Oh my gosh!" I think like, it brings up an interesting thought to me because, like, when I approach scripture and leave it, I guess is the best way I can put it. I'm looking often for the point of what's going on, not so much the the fine detail aspect. Like, I'll leave that to somebody smarter than me and read their stuff on that and dive at that. But generally, when I look at Genesis. Um, and the, the account there, I'm asking what the point is. Um, and I think uh, within the faith circles, we can all agree what the point is. And that's probably the thing to really stand your ground on. And, and the rest can be a fun bar conversation to me. 
like uh, in that sense. Yeah, I, 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 I would agree with that. I think that, I think that, and I don't know that you're saying this. I think that I would push back on somebody that would say, well, there's many different ways to read Genesis one or two, who knows? Um, and that all of them are at the same level of reasonableness. Um, you know, yeah, I would, I would agree with you. That's problematic. Like, yeah, I disagree. I, I have my opinion. Yeah. I have the one that I think is the most reasonable. But having come through what I do know about the others and, and just what I've learned in life, like I'm loose enough on that. I don't hold it firmly, in other words. Yeah. Not like no means. I, it, that just seems uh, unwise to do with Scripture. And I think in a lot of ways that's what Augustine's getting at. Yeah. And I think I think the main thing with Genesis 1 or 2 is is trying to get behind what the intent of the author was. When will, when was it written? We, we, we know yeah. likely when it was written. What are they trying to accomplish? What would they have heard? What did they know about science? You know, and, and you see those things playing out. It fits once you plug in all those pieces. I think that you're able to get a, a pretty accurate hermeneutical reading of the text and what the author of Genesis 1 and 2 is trying to do. Um, I would push back pretty heavily on someone that would say, well, my reading of Genesis one and two inherently means there's a conflict with modern science. I just I I can't see my way there. I think that I don't think they're whatever route you take. I just don't think they're making a, a scientific case in Genesis one and two. Yeah, and I I agree with you on that. And I again coming from the other side, like I understand that position, and I'm I'm willing to you know you can have that position. Fine. Um, I would consider it the unwise one of that conversation, yeah. especially depending on how literal you take it. I mean, there's variations on some of that conversation too, but um, yeah, yeah, there's, it's kind of an interesting thing, but it was one of those, as I was watching uh, the video I was watching today, you and I were talking about earlier, I'm just like, if, if you would just set aside some of the things and the point of it is that God created, however you want to get into that part of that discussion, um, they would have had a much different and probably more productive conversation. I'm referring to, for those uh, that are listening, to a uh, two-hour-long video I found on YouTube. I did not watch it all, uh, with uh, Bill Nye and Ken Ham uh, taking a tour of the Ark uh, down south and generally just arguing, but like not even like productively. <laughs> It was, it was intense. It was I'm not like, at all interested in watching that. You told me about it numerous <laughs> times now. I'm not a bit of me wants to go home and put it in my, my save to watch file. I don't, I'm not yeah. arguing. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was kind of a, a disaster from my, my point of view real quick. Just two people that probably just aren't capable of having that discussion. Yeah. Well, I'm, so. I, I, I think another, another guideline of the way, cause I'm, you know, what I was hoping is to cultivate in people's minds and hearts an understood positive relationship between science and faith. That's what I was arguing, yeah. that I think that they enhance one another. Um, uh, Galileo, you know, he was, the, he was notorious for, you know, we know him as fighting with the Catholic Church and, you know, did, you know, yeah, yeah. kind of getting booted out. And I think we, we grew up thinking then thus he wasn't a follower of Jesus. He very much was, and uh, and so and and he was right, and he 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 was a follower of Jesus who thought like a scientist, and he pursued truth. And um, but he he has this quote. Uh, I didn't say this Sunday, so this was cutting room floor as well. But he said, "We can easily eliminate inconsistency with Scripture simply by admitting that we have not penetrated into its true meaning." 
And I made the statement again. I knew when I said it, it was likely going to ruffle some feathers, but I said I'm pretty convinced that when we have a reading of Scripture that uh, contradicts uh, the consensus of, of, of scientific opinion on a subject, that we probably have a bad reading of Scripture. <laughs> and why I think that that could ruffle some feathers is people could hear me saying that, that science trumps Scripture. Again, I think that's that could be a false dichotomy, um, because uh, both are God's word. <laughs> That's what Psalm 19 says, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, and we see that throughout Scripture, making that case. So if God created everything, then then what is uh, truthful about the way the world works and creation and what is revealed is truthful about God. And uh, there should not be any inherent contradictions between God's word written and revealed to human writers and God's word uh, in, in creation. Or the third God's word is Jesus, the Logos. So there shouldn't be any inherent contradictions in those things. I, I agree with Galileo. I think that that, um, and that's where I think um, we went through a long time. I don't know how long it took after Augustine to start getting bad readings of Genesis one and two, but <laughs> whenever that started in history, I think uh, having people like Francis Collins and others uh, bring new questions to the text and say, "Hey, the more and more we're learning this, you know, the way we're reading this scientifically doesn't work." has led to a generation now, and you'll find a bunch of, we put this in recommended resources, a bunch of stuff on the Bible Project. You know, our friend Tim, who's a Hebrew scholar, has done a lot of work on this. John Walton, a Hebrew scholar, has done a lot of work on Genesis 1 and 2. If you really want to dig in, if you disagree with me, if you want to see where, I, where we're getting this stuff. But I think it's led to a whole generation of scholars going back and doing really good work on the ancient Near East and ancient cosmology and what the original audience, and that's good Bible exegesis. That's yeah, what we yeah. should be doing. And I think that, and we do that all the time with scripture. Um, we do it all the time when we apply sociology and history, for whatever reason, uh, some Christians get a little huffy puffy when we apply science to that. So, you know, yeah. I'm a, I'm a, I guess a half a New Testament scholar. I'm not done with my doctorate yet, but you know, I know enough to, 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 to be dangerous, I guess. Um, but you know, when you get into a New Testament text, and we're reading a lot of original text around that, um, and you're say in a passage like First Corinthians 11 around table fellowship, and it's, we're just not sure what's going on. The, the the surface reading, we're like, I don't understand this. It doesn't make any sense. <clears throat> so. When we go in and we study first century sociology and we study first century table practices and we study, uh, we find archaeology about how houses were built and yeah. how all of that stuff begins to unlock a text like First Corinthians 11 and many other texts. So we freely apply all these other disciplines and allow them to help us get better readings of the text. And yet when we do that with scripture or with science, we get a little weirded out by it. And yeah. Of, of all disciplines, science should be at the top because God created the world, you know? So it's like, I think we just kind of got to get past ourselves there. So if somebody's feathers are ruffled by that, sorry, but I stand by it. And, uh, and, and Galileo is saying the same thing here. Yeah, I think um, for, for those that are probably having feathers ruffled and things, I think, unfortunately, uh, I have my theories about when it all started, but I think it's been in some ways politicized now all the more. Um, which isn't helpful, and I would I would definitely request compartmentalize those those thought process. Um, science is definitely one of those things that yeah un, unveils reveals God in every way that it does. Um, we may not always understand that. That's just how that plays out. 
Yeah, that's I, what it does. I I couldn't agree more, and that's why I tried to t- I tried to spend time defining because what 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 I think has happened is people a lot of Christians who grew up in kind of fear based economies of you know watch the boogeyman and yeah, you're going to yeah. get woke and you're going to start to like you know. Uh, start to treat scripture in a way that it shouldn't be treated and, and all those are, are warranted concerns i'm not saying they're they're not but they hear science and they think scientism and so i think it's got them freaked out and i i think if if anything if i could have one freedom for those people from sunday is to see the difference and um and yeah i i another cutting room floor thing i i, I would have loved to expound more on is there's science right the classical way we think about science lab coat guy and gal and you know <laughs> yeah, nerdy yeah. test tubes and this and that Frankenstein, and that is science but there's also the sciences right and there's like political science and there's like you know how you build things as a science and medicine is a science and how architecture is a science and engineering is a science and like we inherently depend on the sciences every day in a million ways without blinking yeah without yeah. doubting it at all we all get in our car and drive it all get i mean <laughs> we could just go on and on about all the ways we don't even think about it and we yeah. just trust the sciences and so Christians who may have an issue with like lab coat science, like they just need to kind of broaden it a little bit and realize they're already there. They're already trusting in the sciences. This idea that you study something and you test it and you find the right way and there's math involved and there's peer review. And then at the day, there's a consensus and it's usually right because it's been vetted a million times and it has to do with a distinct discipline. So that is sciences and there is no inherent issue with it. So I think, again, like we just, some of my some of the broader goal of Sunday's message is just kind of loosen that up for people who may have that as a touch point where they hear it and they're just alarmed and they're put off by it. Um, we shouldn't be put off. It's a friend. It's not a foe. It's a friend. If we embrace it, we're going to become better followers of Jesus. We'll have better readings of Scripture, and we won't look like fools. That's a, it would be a great yeah. thing. Yeah. <laughs> Anything else that you uh, have on the cutting room floor? No, I mean, I think that uh, I, I think that really encouraging people. I mean, we we did this with every with every message thus far, but um, you know, with this message, there is and, and and you know, with the suffering coming up, and maybe with most of these topics, right? There's a head and there's a heart thing, and. Um, and maybe I made a, a mistake as a communicator, and I'm making it every week try to do both. <laughs> um, but I think there's an element of, of both. And so for, with the science one, it is the head thing of like, if you're listening to me and you're hot and bothered or, or whatever it may be, or you're intrigued and this is new stuff for you, dig deeper. Like, go watch some Bible Project videos. Uh, listen, I, I'm looking at the resource list that we recommended. Um Read the language of God. Uh, I put an interview with Dr. Francis Collins. Start there. See, see, there's an article from the New Yorker about Francis Collins. If you don't want to read the book, there's an, another interview with Dr. John Walton. Take some baby steps and and dig into these things. There's a ton out there by by followers of Jesus who are also scientists. BioLogos. Go to that site and just spend an hour messing around. There's so many articles and books and videos and interviews on pretty much any topic on the BioLogo site. So we don't have an excuse for saying like, oh, it's too complicated or I don't want, you know, well, you can choose to not do the work, but that's part of being an apprentice of Jesus is that you do the work. 
Um, and then the, the, the heart stuff is the go take a hike, right? It is the paying attention. That's what we tried to accomplish. We gave a considerable amount of time Sunday in the message to looking at photos and hearing amazing things about the human body and animals and the universe because there should be a sense of awe and that awe should deepen the glory of God and, and it should right size us. And you don't just have to, um, you, you don't have to take a hike to accomplish that. Um, you can also read or watch. And I put some, trying to think of those folks who maybe physically they, they can't do that or that's just, they have allergies or they, you know. Um, I put books by nature writer Barry Lopez. He's, he's an incredibly gifted writer. Uh, he wrote one called the uh, Arctic, uh, I forget what the, the full name was, that, that won a bunch of awards. But he, he's just a, a fantastic writer, short stories, and all of his stuff is like nature-based. Um, Our Planet on Netflix, uh, uh, there's another one on Netflix called uh, David Attenborough's A Life on Our Planet. Uh, Netflix also has our great national parks. Disney Plus has a bunch of stuff. You know, Welcome yeah, to Earth. Cool right um, yeah, I think one of them's hosted by Will Smith. So if you can get past the him punching Chris Rock thing and watch him, and that's, that's <laughs> you whatever. That up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's, I don't want you know, I don't. It's fine. He can talk about the Earth still, like you know. Um, but yeah, I mean, I put those down there because. I love watching those things and you always learn and they're always edited by the people with like really great voices like Morgan Freeman and people yeah. like that. So it's just like, it kind of puts you, you to Morgan s- Freeman reading things anymore. Oh my God. I, I don't know. Yeah. He's, he's right. He's wrote into some issues too, right? There's no one left to read. Um, but yeah, I mean, there's, there's am whether you have Netflix or Disney or maybe you don't, but there's stuff on YouTube, right? Yeah. You, you can just you can get there. into it and just like be amazed. And like that does hit your head for sure. But like, that's more to evoke your heart as a follower of Jesus. Like, I hope you're amazed by scripture and the beauty of it and the wonder of it, but like be amazed by God's word in creation. And hopefully you're amazed by Jesus, God's word in the flesh. We need to be amazed by all three. And as we do, they all, almost like how the Trinity works with God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, different, but like, you know, that triune aspect of word they all reinforce one another and they're in a relationship with one another. So as we become more in all of Jesus, the word, we're more in all of creation or more in all of his revealed word written down by humans. And it's this incredible dance that we're just like, Oh, and so, yeah, I think that that's, I think I, I want to, some people have things in their head that prevent their heart from being unlocked and really truly experiencing it. And my hope and prayer for myself and for everyone else that's listening and in our church is we get some of those intellectual things out of the way, those barriers, so our heart can be free to really embrace the beauty of God's Word. And when we see a new scientific revelation, we're not skeptical and, like, fearful and angry. We're like, whoa, look at our God. Glory be to God, you know? Yeah. I think that that's, that's what I want for the church more than anything. And then we get, you know— I uh, I interviewed, uh, uh, I don't know, it was prior to COVID for sure, in the old building, Dr. Jason Stuckey from Multnomah University. And uh, yeah. Craig Williford, he's, he's just re- retired uh, as president of Multnomah recently, um, but I'm friends with Craig. He was part of our church. They, they recently uh, moved. Uh, but one of Craig's big uh, endeavors was to build out a, a science program. And so he, he hired Dr. Stuckey, 
to uh, come in and lead it. And I, I think Dr. Stuckey's PhD is from Stanford, which is not a lightweight yeah, I, university. Yeah, and, I remember and, him having quite a few credentials. Yeah. When we so I, I brought him in prior to COVID. I'm sure you probably found that interview online. Um, but it was fascinating. And I wanted to hear, you know, what was his faith like? like going to a place like Stanford and being, and, and it was so encouraging to hear somebody like Dr. Stuckey talk about like, no, this is, this is beautiful. And both things reinforce the other. And, and then I loved Craig's heart and Dr. Stuckey's heart for raising up a generation of Christ following scientists. We need scientists in the field and it should reinforce their faith and reinforce the scientists to have, have them in the field. Yeah. So, yeah. If you want, if you got a kid, you got to send to college, and they're scientists. I mean, that's right. You can consider multnoma now, and you wouldn't uh, be able to before. And that's yeah. I. I want to see more and more and more of that. And uh, and yeah, I mean, I guess it, you know, my last ten percent throughout this whole series, but I think especially with this question, some of the other questions are, if you're listening Sunday or listening to this, and you feel fear. Uh, pay attention to that. <laughs> That's not Jesus. <laughs> That's not the Holy Spirit, right? We're we're not we're not to be people of fear. Um, we're to be people of love, which is the antithesis of fear. Uh, there is no fear in love, and 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 we should be people that should be curious and leaning in and uh, seeking the truth. Jesus, our Lord, said, "If we seek the truth and find the truth, it will set us free." So um, I just see more and more Christians, not only on this topic, but a lot of topics, uh, drawing away and being fearful. Like, yeah. why are we, what are, what are we fearful of? Like, to be, to be candid, you know, if, if what we're pursuing is not truthful, and, you know, if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, or the Bible is a joke, or none of this stuff is true, like, I'd like to know it now before I'm like old and gray <laughs> and spend most of my life, you know, wasting it on it. Yeah, yeah, I don't know what I do. do, eat, drink, yeah. and be merry. I don't know, something <laughs> like that. Uh, become a hedonist probably. I don't know, what what, 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 what are you left with? Um, yeah. But yeah, like the idea that if we dig in a little bit, I don't know what I'll find. Like, listen to that reasoning if that's in your heart. Just listen, and, listen to how that sounds. I mean, that's not the kind of people we want to be. Yeah. And so we go back to the fourth century. We see the Augustans. We see these brilliant men and women who started all these universities, Oxford, Cambridge, Yale, Harvard, Princeton, right? Followers of Jesus were never scared of the truth. They were never scared of education. They were never scared of growing in knowledge about how the world worked. And they were on the cutting edge of all these things. And I see that hesitancy almost like going in into our little our little silos, if you will, and hiding out out of fear. And man... Um, you can tell me, you know, if all, if all hell breaks loose and the apocalypse comes and whatever, you can, you can say, I told you so pastor, but I don't know, even then, That's I mean, a different, I told you so for me, so. I, I guess, but <laughs> our King's on the throne, right? Our, yeah, our, yeah. our King is, is the word made flesh who, who made the word of creation. Like we don't need to be fearful of these things. Um, so anyway, I guess that's my extra 10%. It may have been the undercurrent of some of my angst on Sunday. If anybody <laughs> fed into that, I just, uh, yeah, again, there's so many things that, about what we believe as followers of Jesus that are going to be really difficult for the world to handle and that will lead to even persecution of us. I don't, I, I understand that. I, I don't know if that's coming soon or later or any of those things, but that's truthful. 
there are really difficult things about the way of Jesus that the secular world is not going to embrace and will even battle and fight yeah. against. This is not one of them. Yeah, <laughs> right? I mean, yeah. again, not the macro ev- evolution question, but that's not where most people are having it, right? It's like yeah, most of the conversations I've had don't just, deal with that. I remember being in churches deal. and doing student ministry, and they're like, "Hey, talk on this." I'm like, oh. uh, "No, no student has ever asked me about that." Yeah, I mean, I think I heard somebody once, I think Tony Campolo had the, a book entitled Adventures in Missing the Point. <laughs> and I think so many Christians are just like... So just a bunch of one-liners. Just, oh, you're killing you me, know, you know? And, and I mean, I'm, I'm prone to these things. I grew up with these things. I had these arguments. I'm not I'm not trying to say I've got it all figured out. I There's a lot of these things I'm on a journey on. But like another, you know, this is a military slogan, but I... I, I see so many Christians dying on the wrong hill, <laughs> right? Yeah, and, you yeah. know, in, in military strategy, you know, you, you got to sometimes take a hill to win a battle or to hold, right? And we see we see some of this if you're reading about Russia and Ukraine, some of that. You see some <laughs> yeah. of this stuff, right? Yeah. And if you lose this bridge or lose this, you know, it's, it's, it's horrible what's going on over there. But from a military philosophy, that's kind of what it means. So that's where that metaphor comes from. So there's some hills worth taking and holding. I would say the resurrection of Jesus and, you know, the creedal beliefs and things like, that's a hill worth dying on. But that's not where most Christians are dying. You don't see most Christians getting persecuted because they are following Jesus so radically as king that they're giving away their possessions and they're (laughs) like, you know, those are the hills we're supposed to die on. We're dying on these hills, which it's not even an issue. So it's like, not only do we call off and look at his fools, but we don't have to die there. We may need to die on some hills. Let's save that for the yeah. right hills. And so that's what I mean by that statement. And we want to be a church. I hope people know from how I carry myself that I'm willing to die on the right hills, I think. I, don't, I guess we don't know till we get there. Um, I want to be willing to do that. Yeah. I believe deeply in Jesus. I want to give my all. But not for things like this that that actually could help the way of Jesus. Uh, we be better scientists, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Anyway, that's some of my on this question. I think that was a little. I was feeling a little frustrated Sunday. I was trying to do some work. Like, where's that coming from? <laughs> and I think it's coming from that. Like, just seeing the last couple of years, just like, oh, do not die on that hill. You know, <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> come on, man, the earth's flat. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, that's my, I know that's, those are more, you know, some of you, there may be random people listen to this thing that I'm not your pastor. I don't have a relationship with you, but if you do consider me your pastor in any way, shape or form, I just, I just challenge you to, to, to listen to, to that. And, and to, I'm not saying that I'm right on all these things, but like, I think my gut on that is right. And we want to be the type of community that's not fear-based yeah. that when we, and we want to be courageous over the right things. And, um, and so I think there's, yeah, so hopefully it cleared up some things. Hopefully it's, you know, I'm not trying to stymie anybody's faith or throw stumbling blocks. I'm trying to clear them out, remove stones from the path so that people can walk. So, um, reach out if you have questions, uh, dig into the resources. Um, I love this subject. I think it's fascinating. I don't think I would have ever been smart enough to become a scientist or to get a PhD <laughs> in that field. I'm not a scientist. I'm sure I miss plenty when I, when I read it. And I really respect a lot of my scientist friends who I, I do have a lot of scientist friends and talk with them quite a bit and want to learn from them. But just as kind of like a geeky side thing, I love reading about it. I think it's fascinating and it, I usually almost always come away with my faith built stronger when I engage in the sciences. And I hope that that's true for everybody listening. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think, I think you made a good point, too, in the, in the grand scheme for those of you that are listening and, and 
called New Hope your your uh, church home. Be curious. Yeah. Avoid avoid that fear. Avoid the anger. Whatever it is, kind of welling up. Be curious. Be excited. Even I would dare say about new information that may conflict with what you've already believed. Um, go after it. Yep. And 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 learn and and take a look at it. Just have fun with it uh, instead of freaking out about it and <laughs> claiming the world is ending or our schools are ending or insert here. Yeah, insert here, which is almost always driven by fear. And maybe yeah. that's an oversimplification, but just listen to your heart. And when you engage with any topic, not just this one, man, if it's being led by fear or you're listening to somebody, reading someone, watching someone that is operating in what I call the fear economy. They're yep. peddling fear. Yeah, we talked and, about this. Yeah, I mean, we can't ago, talk yeah. about it enough. We should talk about yeah. it every day because oh, yeah, that's yeah. clickbait, right? And that's <laughs> the things that get eyes and watches because we're just like, we're, we gravitate. Don't play that game, follower of Jesus. Like, we're not people of fear. When you see somebody, they're just trying to manipulate you. And that's not the realm that followers of Jesus need to live in and operate in. I'm convinced of that. And so it's happening everywhere, not just in the Christian world, but in the non-Christian world and politics and sports and wherever. It's just people are so fearful. Um, I'm not saying there's not reasons for authentic fear. I'm not trying to judge people that may struggle with anxiety and this and that. I know that's a thing. I struggle with that. My family does. that's, That's not the same thing. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about people like cultivating fear uh, cultures and trying to uh, operate in that fear economy. I don't know how to say it better than that. They're trying yeah, to actually monetize it and make yeah. money off of it. And like, do not listen to those people. Like odds are they're probably wrong. Um, at a minimum, they're going about it the wrong way. Yeah. So yeah. listen to people that you know aren't stoking fear, but are trying to cultivate, like you said, I love that word curiosity. And wonder is another word that I would use on this topic. Yeah. Like we need to be, Jesus said we need to be like children. And I mean, I go on and on about that topic, why he said that. I think there's many different reasons. It's a beautiful analogy in a, in a time in the first century where children had, no, children had no rights. They were disregarded. They were subhuman, those you kind of things. read about them. <laughs> yeah. And so, but children, like to this day, my kids, uh, other kids I'm around just are so curious and so full of wonder. And I think that that'd be a great quality to be ascribed once again to followers of Jesus in the church. People of wonder and curiosity. Thanks for listening to New Hope's Cutting Room Floor Podcast. And don't forget to follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. Check out newhopepdx.org to get to know us more.